I am Dr. Tasha Browning, a trauma therapist, and this is The Trauma Perspective. In this podcast, we will discuss various topics surrounding mental health, trauma work, trauma healing, and explore the lived experiences of trauma survivors. Be warned, trauma is a dirty topic. It is thick with hurt and it reveals some of the ugliest sides of human existence. These discussions may not be appropriate for all listeners. So take a breath, stay present, and let's discuss the trauma perspective. So welcome back to The Trauma Perspective. This is part two um, with Claudia. And um, this is some good juicy stuff because now we're going to get a chance to cover uh, the areas of treatment and healing when it comes to working with um, disordered eating and eating disorders or eating in general. And I think that this um, these two topics deserved their own um, talk in their own uh, area segment of this podcast because you know uh, some of the stuff that we cover here um, can be very complex and very layered and we just need time to digest that in its own um, segment um, by itself so uh, Claudia it's a big topic here like where do we want to start like well I don't want to miss out on discussing the social effects yes okay let's do that so how culture affects eating disorders. And I'm sure, I think we missed this part, you know, in our last segment. So yeah, let's definitely make sure we cover this. Because it's huge. People don't always realize that we live in a diet culture. Mm-hmm. And um, there's lots of money to be made with diets. There's constantly, um, in magazines, everywhere you look, try a new diet, whether it's keto, paleo. It's a billion dollar industry, isn't it? Yes. And you go through different trends of it. But um, I think that people need to be made aware that this affects us and how we make our food choices, how we have our relationship with our body. And so in the midst of trauma and the genetics and everything we talked about before, there's a culture, especially if you look at social media, that is really looking at our weight, how we look, what we eat, and um, that really does affect each individual differently, but we go back to the whole term of healthy and what that means and how the diet industry sort of buys into that and really cashes in on it at our expense. Cashes in is a good word because I think that what we've seen um, in the last, uh, I would say um, maybe five to eight years, um, especially with the prevalence of more and more social media platforms and influencers, Um, I think the idea of shaping what the word healthy is and also shaping um, the outcomes of what is healthy and what isn't healthy has really made an impact on people and how they choose to not just eat, but how they choose to think about food, how they choose to even purchase food, who they choose to purchase food from, um, what they do with the food. Um, it, all of these factors are, are, are playing into that. And, and some of it has gotten really dangerous. Yes. So I, I want to back up a little bit and talk about some of the myths that the diet culture feeds us. Mm-hmm. One of them being that if we look a certain way, um, and this is where body image comes into the disordered eating and eating disorders. If we look a certain way, we will be happier. 
Um, I've heard many clients come to me, if only I lost X amount of pounds, I would be happier, people would want to be with me more, I would be noticed. Um, so that is very much plays into, something that plays into um, the diet culture because now there's tools to get to where these people want to go. So you want to lose weight so that people will be your friend, people will hire you, people will like you. Um, I'll show you how. Um, so really that myth is an important one that society feeds us. And because we are in a patriarchal society, it's important to recognize that as women um, in particular, we are looked at by our physicality. Um, and so there's still that pressure for women to look a certain way. Even after women have babies, they're supposed to lose their weight right away. And that ties into the whole notion of I have to restrict my food, I can't do this, or I have to compulsively exercise. And so there's that pressure that's constantly there um, that I think it's important, and it plays an important role in the eating disorder and it can't be ignored. I heard this uh, this one individual uh, one time who was a re recovering um, from her eating disorder start to talk about how the more in which um, women are fed and told to live out some of these uh, patriarchal standards, um, the more attention is put on um, whether they, you know, uh, are a certain size, how their makeup is, um, where they're pieing their clothes, um, how they get along with each other, how they should be interacting with each other as women, um, uh, how we support women or don't support women. The more attention that's put on that, um, the less time a woman has to put attention on herself, who she really is and what her needs are. Yes, and that is um, something that I, I really experience when we have groups of women with eating disorders. They will come into the room and they will size each other up rather than look at the benefits of connection in the group. And so I've had women who have said to me, I don't want to be in this group because she is thinner than I am or um, has a smaller size. And I think that that just creates that whole notion of competition and comparing yourself to others, which keeps us distracted really from doing the work. So this is always when we are in treatment with people with disordered eating or eating disorders, it's a distraction. And it's a distraction that we need to work on and actually validate because it is what is out there in society and really teach people to look beyond that and look at themselves as something other than just their physical bodies. And so that's where connecting with the body is really important rather than just looking at it for its size, but for what it can do for you. Absolutely, it's a distraction and it's a oppression because in its oppressive nature, in how we force standards on women, it really does um, shape, um, when they come to therapy, how we can actually work with them and treat them. And so some of the things that you just described are some of the same things that, you know, I've experienced um, working with women um, in these types of environments um, where there's a um, 
a treatment aspect or there's a fitness aspect or uh, there's a group uh, movement aspect or uh, something associated with it. There's always these other elements that have seeped themselves in and these stories and these things that we, they've been taught um, and, and things that have been projected on them um, to oppress who they really are. And so you end up with the a room full of women who there are times they don't even really recognize, appreciate, understand, or love the femininity um, yes. of being, you know, a woman and then being able to address these issues among women becomes this very scary um, thing to reckon with um, that, you know, that I could possibly be having some of the same issues, same feelings, same thoughts, same problems as this other woman. Um, she looks completely different from me, but, um, you know, we're sharing uh, some of the same uh, lived experiences um, when I have been taught that she is my enemy or she is my competition uh, for a, a man or a competition for um, the attention of uh, a man um, and how all that plays out and how people interact with each other. So absolutely. And there's definitely an irony in it all because one of the things I will mention that is healing is that connective factor in which you realize, yes, me too. I feel that way. I have felt that way. And that connects people in a way that nothing else can and eliminates some of that shame because it's brought into the light. But I do want to mention that there is a, a great um, documentary called Misrepresentation that Oprah Winfrey did on this notion of women where we are put in a situation we were, where we are competing with each other rather than working together. And she actually um, attaches it a little bit to political power and how we lose our voice in that sense. So I would definitely recommend that it's out there on Netflix. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> I mean, we can say what we want to because, you know, uh, we don't care. Just tell the but truth. But it's pretty, yes. it's a pretty awesome I'll make sure I include that in our... Um, our little bio about this episode because I believe people need resources and you know we're not going to improve um, as human beings or as individuals if we you know can't follow up and learn more um, and uh, educate ourselves so you know resources are very important so um, I want to start because you know we're going to talk about treatment and healing and I want to make sure we cover these things individually because they are separate things but they also work together because you can't have one without the other. At the same time, we need to acknowledge that to be treated and to go through treatment does not necessarily mean that you're experiencing healing or that you have been healed from whatever you're suffering with. So let's start with treatment. What does it look like? And let's break, let's even break it down even further. The differences or what it looks like residential treatment versus like outpatient treatment. So tell me, Claudia, what does it look like to go and handle um, any issue with eating? Um, well, I shouldn't say that. So an eating disorder or disordered eating, because we know there's some other things that take place. What does that look like in residential treatment? Okay, and here's maybe where I'm going to say that I differ a little bit from the way um, residential eating disorder programs work, because the residential programs they usually focus on the behaviors and on eliminating the behaviors. So there's very structured um, meal times, watching behaviors, which I do believe is very important, but it almost excludes looking at the root cause of it. And so a lot of times um, they don't 
look at the trauma piece and how that plays into the behaviors. We separate the behaviors. And I really believe in working on the two simultaneously. You go into the trauma, you go into the behaviors, but you have to, um, it's almost like a balance act because you don't want to overwhelm the people. But residential focuses more on behavior um, if you're in an eating disorder program. Now, if you're in a program such as where I work, we really focus on the trauma and less so on the behaviors, more on the root cause and trying to find out how the body is responding, what the psychological comorbidities are, and then try and work that as a whole. Do you believe in residential treatment? I do for, um, and this is maybe going to get me in trouble, but mm -hmm. I do for the trauma piece of it. Um, and I think that if you work on what's causing it and driving that coping skill or that defense mechanism of the eating disorder, we can really then focus on the behaviors. But I don't believe that you can just work on the behaviors. The minute you don't have that external motivation, um, that internal motivation is very low because the trauma is still there. The reasons for using the eating disorder is still there. That trauma bond is still there. So really working and trying to assess the trauma and how and what the mechanism is, the functionality of that eating disorder in relation to the trauma. Can you tell me what you mean by the fact that um, the trauma is not being properly addressed when we're working with the eating disorder and the behaviors? Because in my mind, I'd imagine that um, you know, if we have the, the behaviors and the symptoms of the eating disorder over here and we have the trauma over here, that eventually we would sort of mesh them back together because if we're going to work with a whole human being and treat them as a whole person, then we can't just take the pieces and parts and leave them as pieces and parts. Eventually we have to bring them both back together um, and sort of seal the deal and who they're becoming. So how is it that the trauma is not being addressed? So a lot of times in residential, and residential is very good for people who are um, who have a severe eating disorder, and they have to deal with the physical conditions. Absolutely, first. because we don't we don't want to. I don't lose want people. to say that that yes. is not important. Yes, it is very important. Mm -hmm. But now, when we're talking about an eating disorder, disordered eating of less severity, that's where you have to be really careful because it's really about creating that sense of safety with the trauma that has happened and with the body and the central nervous system. So if you can work on a person being or feeling safe in their body and not needing to use that eating disorder as much, it'll be easier to then look at the eating disorder and integrate the two together. But we have to start with the body, not with the mind. And eating disorders are really disorders from the neck up, as they say, very much um, out of body. So the first step always in healing is trying to look at what the function is of that eating disorder and then going into the body and trying to work on the effect. It's not, uh, with trauma, it's about the story, but it's not really about the story. It's more about the impact it's had on your body. And um, so that's the first place I always start. If you had to um, sort of do best practices um, when working in a residential setting um, with eating, what are some of your best practices that you think um, therapists should be doing and residential facilities should be approaching with these types of clients? 
I think the first step is just really to do a very thorough evaluation of the, the patient and understand the different coping mechanisms, the effect of the trauma, um, the disconnect with the body. Um, I think that once we get an overview, we really can figure out what the best intervention to start with would be. But always best practice is to help them ground in their own body and start to um, be able to deal with all the different emotions and physical sensations in their body. That's once you get the, the full picture, you start really a bottoms up approach, which um, is what I believe in. So you're really working on grounding first and then working your way up with dealing with the cognitive issues that are associated. Claudia, you keep mentioning body, and I think that's very important um, that we stop there and, and really talk about what you mean by, by body. Because what I'm hearing is that there's a lot of people getting treatment who are treating an eating disorder and still very disconnected from their body and actually what's going on with their body, but their symptoms are being treated. Yes, and that's... Um... And that's a big part of it is because already naturally with eating disorders, there's a disconnect with the body. Most of the people with disordered eating or eating disorders, they don't want to be in their bodies. They feel either betrayed by their bodies or they um, feel unsafe in their bodies. They don't like any part of the physicality of their bodies. So um, it's really if we just deal with the thoughts which is what cognitive behavioral therapy does. And it's the gold standard for eating disorders, and there's definitely a time and a place for it. But if the person is not feeling grounded and in their window of tolerance, it's really hard to do any work. So that's why um, it's really important to work with being in that window of tolerance. And so that is uh, residential. And I know that, you know, when we, when we think about eating disorders, that seems to be a very uh, popular, um, you know, um, choice for people wanting to seek help, right? But there is another option that people do take, and that is um, outpatient. How are you judging whether or not someone's um, eating issue is severe enough for inpatient versus outpatient? So to, to look at some of it, the different, um, to judge the severity of it, you would start probably with the physical conditions that are happening. So you want to have somebody who is at an appropriate weight in terms of um, being able to engage in daily life, being able to move, being able to think properly, because the brain needs to be nourished enough to actually be able to do the work. So that would start with a medical exam and having to talk to a doctor about that. Also with any kind of electrolyte, kidney issues, any of the issues that come up, physical issues, medical issues as a result of an eating disorder, that would be the first place. Now, if a person is safe medically, deemed safe by a doctor, then we can work at an outpatient level. And when you say deemed safe by a doctor to work at an outpatient level, you mean like on their physical health, not necessarily on their mental health. Correct. Okay. <laughs> because we Correct. Know, there's a lot of people who, um, well, I won't say a lot, but there may be times where we can deem someone men mental health-wise not safe enough to work in outpatient, too. For sure. And okay. that would be a whole different assessment in terms of um, working with the eating disorder. 
Okay. So now we have someone who's an outpatient. We have someone who maybe has uh, stable health, you know, so we don't have any drastic issues mm -hmm. um, with their blood pressure or with their um, uh, maintaining a, a healthy weight enough to be functioning daily. Um, but we still have all of the other issues that go along with any spectrum um, of an eating disorder. What do you do in outpatient? How do you approach that? Okay. Because um, we don't have, right, because I don't mean to stop you, but in inpatient, we don't have access to maybe, uh, you know, a dietitian versus uh, a doctor on site versus a therapist when you need it versus a recreational therapist versus, you know, um, maybe an attendant or, or a uh, behavior tech that works on site to help you through some things versus your equine th versus all the resources that you may have. So what, where do you start an outpatient? Outpatient, I would... Um... I would start with probably the cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavior therapy, which is more about mindfulness, really trying to work with the thoughts behind the behaviors. And um, that would be a part of it, but there's also another part that I would include, which is any kind of movement, functional movement. It could be done through yoga, or breath work, dance, anything that is not about compensatory behavior, but starting to feel grounded in your body. So we're dealing with the thoughts, we're trying to connect it with the body, and working at the same time with connections, so support groups, other, other people who um, will help bring that shame to, to light, and you can connect and not feel alone in the process. Um, and then also working on identity and self-worth. You know, who am I outside of my eating disorder? Who am I outside of my body? You know, that sense of purpose and meaning in my life. So I think that takes us into the topic of treatment. And, the, you know, the topic of treatment and healing is something that is very special to me because I feel like it's one of the most misunderstood and, and neglected um, understandings in, like, westernized medicine, especially in mental health. Mm -hmm. um, we talk about treatment as therapists. We're talking about the therapies that we use, the interventions that we use, assessments and all these types of things. And we provide a treatment based upon their, you know, diagnosis and profile. And that is only 50% of what a person needs to really get back in the world and feel like they know what their new purpose and passion is for life. Um, and so the other half of that and I think this is especially um, important to a couple topics in mental health, eating disorders being one of them, especially when we incorporate trauma behind eating disorders. And that is understanding the differences between um, people feeling healed and going through healing experiences and having healing um, sort of interactions and interventions within um, their life and those spiritual components to healing versus when we just provide treatment, right? Because both are needed in eating disorders, but it looks like there's only one area that really gets any attention. And um, uh, maybe go, you tell me what your perspective is on that. Cause I know I, you know me, I can go on about what I feel in terms of like treatment versus healing is. And I, that's the thing with, um, a lot of the healing, it always goes straight to the food because it is about the food, but it's not about the food. It's not about a way of eating. It's about who you are. And so that needs to incorporate 
your spiritual, your spirituality, a spiritual aspect to that, and that can look differently for everybody. And um, I think it needs to take into account purpose and meaning. Who am I if I'm not helping others or doing something that I can find meaning in? And if you are more self-actualized, to use that term, if you have your identity and self-worth based on things that align with your values, I think that that is where the healing happens. And um, then taking that healing and being able to connect with others in that process. So it really, um, it's really not about the food. And there is a food aspect to it, and I do want to, to talk about that. But I think people start with the food, and I think you need to start with the spirituality and who am I, what's my purpose, what, who, what are my values, and how are my behaviors aligned with my values. And I think that that's where healing can really happen. I think that... Um you're absolutely right. And I think that align, alignment is a key word in understanding the differences between being treated and being healed. Um, I think um, the only way that maybe I could add to this point is to, to help people understand um, this idea of healing and treatment is to maybe do a short story time. And I'm sure you have one too. But my story time um, hit a little bit differently only because... Um, it was, it was my first time interacting with a client with this particular condition um, in this way. And some of her, um, the effects of her uh, new disorder eating had come from a recent surgery, gastric bypass surgery. Mm. And, you know, which is a whole nother topic. But um, it saved her life and that was wonderful. But the side effects of the actual surgery and now living with... Um, this choice that she made that saved her life, but is also harming her life because mm -hmm. of the side effects, um, was very, you know, of course, traumatic and impactful. So when, when she came to me and, uh, you know, we went through her whole uh, background and understanding where she's come from and she had already been through therapy uh, before and after her surgery. So she was very aware too. She's a, she was very aware. And you know, when we have clients that are very aware, you can't just work with them on a psychological level because they need something deeper than that because they're very intelligent, right? And so the problem was is that she was very healthy. She had everything she had ever wished for in terms of her numbers, right? Her blood pressure, her weight, her uh, cholesterol, everything was, um, was, was green. It was go, right? It was wonderful. And... Um, she, her body was adjusting to the surgery and she was having side effects that are now changing um, the way that she thought she would be able to eat, uh, the way that she was told, you know, smaller portions, more protein, all these types of things, but her body was somehow rejecting that. And what it boiled down to at the end of our sessions together is understanding um, that her body was rejecting its new self. But in in understanding that her body was rejecting its new self, that was not, for me, a lesson in doing some sort of mental health work with her. It was a new encounter with understanding that as therapists, depending on how we practice, that the work that we were doing together was 
her new was her spirit. She had this new identity that would not stop rejecting itself. And this wonderful, beautiful woman who's put a lot of work into her life and what she's become, and she is that person. But on that, that deep spiritual level that probably had some intergenerational trauma ties to it and something going on at her on levels that we can't really see, you know, as therapists, um, there had to be a level of healing that had not taken place. And that was not mental health treatment. That was healing on all the aspects that we needed to get reacquainted with this new side of ourselves and understand what our new identity was, but on a spiritual context, everything that we have evolved into, you know, and the person sitting in front of me. And so that is where I started to really separate, especially in eating disorders, yes. separate out. Um, I know what the trauma is. I know what... Um, the mental health, what mental health says I should do. I know what um, the societal impact of her even having this surgery or ch making these choices and how that's looked alike. Like I know what that is, but what is not being covered in all my training mm -hmm. um, was this new spiritual um, injury and wound that we needed to address. And it looked nothing like mental health, but you know, I got to, I, I mean, I, I didn't do the work, she did the work, but I got to take part in helping her, you know, along that journey. And I think that that becomes different than treating her because I was able to help her see that the possibility of healing for her now existed. And that's part of what I encounter in which we're so focused on the body and bringing it to a healthy point. So like you said, she had everything, her tests were okay, her weight was okay, and yet there's still something missing. And that something missing is something that we aren't really, we're taught to get them to that point where there are all the green lights, but not to go beyond that. And that's really what's the extra healing touch is that spiritual piece to it. Who am I? Mm -hmm. on the inside right because they've been so focused on the body the outside how they're supposed to be all eating. those existential questions and yes. they don't really get to that last point and that's the point that really is the cherry on top so to speak so but you need that right yeah um and so that's definitely something, a journey that takes a long time. And I think that's why it doesn't get covered in treatment because it's not something that comes overnight or within 30 days. Um, because you really have to mourn what you've been focusing on before and who you were and look at, okay, I went through treatment, I'm healthy, and I use uh -huh. that in quotes, yes. in air quotes. Um, now what? How can it be enough? How will I know it's enough? And I think that that's when the spiritual piece comes in where we can actually heal. Yeah, and I want to make sure that we acknowledge that, yes, there was a psychological piece, but guys, I promise you that the psychological piece was not the, the still lingering issue there. Like, this lady is intelligent. She understood everything that was like, bothering her going on with her can she express her emotions can she express her feelings does she understand how her boundaries have been re-evaluated uh, and changed yes all those things but you know did she see that person in the mirror as far as feeling it and knowing that you know like in my soul 
that, you know, this is a transformation? No. I hear you on that. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's part of that. Um, I think of it as embodiment, true embodiment. This is my new body. This is where I'm at. I've done my work and here I am and feeling that that sense of true embodiment and spirituality. That's so, so important. Absolutely. And so, you know, just with my experiences, and I don't know, because I think you touched on this too, but in, in my experiences, when we talk about really becoming more embodied, I find that with women, we need each other. And women can play a big part in helping other women be more embodied or just be that support, you know, that um, women need other women, you know, for this healing aspect that for some reason, sometimes we can only get from another woman where that's, you know, our, our support, our best friend, our mom, there's a level of understanding and this energy that women can provide other women that I think helps with this embodied feeling of healing. And I know that maybe you've seen this or you've encountered this in some of your work too. Um, I definitely, I always tell um, my clients that I would not be where I am without my tribe. And my tribe, that always includes, of course, my closest female friends and a diverse mm -hmm. group of female friends so that I can really benefit from their insight and grow as a person alongside with them. And that is what, on a day-to-day -day basis, when we talk about self-care and priorities, Without my tribe, I know I won't be at my best place for everything. So that's, for me, a very important piece, being with other women. And there is that nurturance that you get from another female, an understanding that is extra special. How do you think that would impact um, someone who's, you know, going through ED? Uh, ED is a... Is a um, uh, um, Eating disorder? Yes. <laughs> I haven't used the term. We need to we need to we need to define it. Yes, ED meaning eating disorder, guys. Yes, okay. Yeah. So um, I think that that's where that piece that that social cultural piece of the eating disorder, because once again, biopsychosocial, where that piece is with women is that we have to look better, weigh less, be a certain size, have a certain ideal body image. And so that creates a division rather than a connection. And so when you get past that and you're able to work on that piece of it and just being in, not comparing yourself, that opens up the door for connection with women and the nurturing piece that comes with that. The nurturing piece that is so important and I hope that, you know, women, more and more women embrace. And I think as we, you know, start to move forward and really understand the value that people can have with other people, um, I think hopefully we start to see the value in bringing these ideas of community and connection more strongly into issues like eating disorders, because we see them all the time in addictions, right? We see yes. that reinforcement of a positive community and that support around you. Uh, but for some reason in these other areas um, of mental health, we don't see it being pushed as much. I, I know it exists, but not as much as we see um, the power of community, you know, uh, in addictions. I would like to see that in ED too. I, I would as well. And part of that is because there is still that stigma that the anorexic or typical anorexic who is in a thinner body 
um, is better in some way than one who's in a bigger body. And yet they still have the same mechanisms, the same thinking um, going on, yet there's still that division. So I think part of that is getting rid of that misunderstanding and stigma that it has to do about the weight. Um, and it's interesting that we're talking about nurturing and really we're talking about something more than food, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's that, that nurturance, that soothing, that is what heals um, more so than sometimes the food or the diet, right? Absolutely, yes. So, Claudia, if there's anything, like, if you had to add one, you know, final thought in terms of, like, if someone's experiencing an eating disorder or disordered eating and you wanted to offer them some guidance or where they should go next or what they should be thinking about or how they can seek help, any anything around that, what would you say to them? I would definitely say that you can start with... Um, looking on the internet and going to the organizations such as NIDA, the National Eating Disorder Association or the Alliance of Eating Disorders. And on their websites, they do a good job of um, sort of answering some of the basic questions. If you feel you have trauma in addition to that, I would definitely then reach out to a trauma therapist, even though that therapist may not be well-versed in eating disorders. Um, there is that understanding of it as how it's used as a coping mechanism. So I would also reach out to a trauma therapist and then um, go from there, depending on the severity. And then, you know, we always, you know, we sometimes have people in our lives that we're concerned about, too, that we may be seeing, um, you know, this disorder eating or, or in them. You know, what do you say to those people who may have someone in their life and, you want to get them help or you want to see them get help? Like, how do we support people in our life that we know that are going through a hard time? I think part of it is, um, is sort of eliminating the shame surrounding it because there is a lot of secretive behavior that happens with eating disorders, whether it's purging, um, or overeating, undereating. So I think that part of that would be approaching somebody in terms of being supportive and not shaming in any way. Um, and then at that point, asking them to look into it more, maybe through the organizations that I just mentioned, or talking to somebody who um, has some experience in therapy or in that um, profession, doctor even. Well, Claudia, I thank you for your time today. And I kind of feel like even though we've spent uh, two different segments on this topic, uh, that we could only be touching the surface of some of the different uh, directions we can go in. So with that, um, I will leave it up to you guys, uh, the audience, if you have any questions, if you um, have any other comments or things that you would like to see us talk about surrounding this topic, or if you'd even like to have maybe a live discussion about this topic, um, I'm going to leave some contact info in the bio. You just get at me and um, we will see what we can do because I want to do my best to support my listeners. Like I want you to get help if you need it. I want you to have resources and I want you to know that um, we want to interact with you and serve you and assist you in the best way that we can. So um, until um, we, you know, meet again and cover another topic, thank you guys for listening. And um, this is The Trauma Perspective.